Hi there, and welcome to the Android Bytes podcast, powered by Esper. I'm David Ruddick, and every week with my co-host Michelle Rahman, we're diving deep on the topics, trends, and news shaping the Android industry. We're also joined each week by influential members of the Android space, from developers to journalists to the people behind the companies building products that rely on Android to achieve success. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you have any feedback, please reach out to us at editors at esper.io or shoot any of us a DM on Twitter. Thanks for joining us, everyone. One housekeeping note before we get started. The episode you're about to listen to comes from the Android Bytes back catalog. As Android Bytes evolves into a fully published podcast, we'll be releasing our back catalog of older episodes alongside new recordings every week. These older episodes never have been released, but we did make them a while ago, around two or three months depending on the show. So these episodes may be a little rougher around the edges when it comes to audio and organization, and we appreciate your understanding and hope you enjoy them. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining. I'm just getting things set up right now. I invited Al Sutton to be a speaker, and he's accepted. And I'm also waiting on David and Cameron to join us. So it'll just take one more minute. So I think we have most people who I intended to invite um, here in this space. So I just wanted to start off with a brief introduction. Um, As you all know, I'm Michal. You already follow me if you join this space. I'm part of Esper. I'm the senior technical editor. And I'm joined by David Ruddick, who's the editor-in-chief of Esper. And someone who just joined and I'm inviting to be a co-host is Cameron Summerson who's the managing editor at Esper. And for this week's discussion, I have invited two people from a company called Snap Automotive. And um, if if you're able to, I'd like you both to introduce yourselves. Sure, no problem. Um, Hi, everyone. Hi, Michelle. Thank you for the the invite. Uh, I'm Mal Sutton. I'm the CTO of Snap Automotive. Um, Been doing stuff with firmware for a long time and... uh, decided to pair up with uh, a partner in crime, Yahani, to uh, do awesome things with Android in cars. Yahani? Hey, hey, everybody. I hope the mic works now. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm working with Al in, in the same company. Um, I'm running the business side of it. I've been Android developer for since Android 2.0. Uh, my knowledge of the firmware is much, much less. Uh, however, I've been working with uh, different car companies and in the car automotive field in the past. Yeah, so um, thank you for joining us, everyone, and I'm David. Uh, So, you know, this is a really interesting topic for me personally, because A, I love cars. Um, I'm an automotive geek, for sure. Uh, Automotive journalist has always been my dream job. (laughs) So I love to talk about automotive, and I've been, um, you know, the the car you can buy right now in the U.S. with Android Automotive, the Polestar 2, um, a number of times now. So I'm really pretty familiar with the OS and getting to know it from the open source side and like how you actually build on it is immensely fascinating to me. So I guess like my curiosity is what kind of tools is Google making available compared to the kind of Android we get on a smart tablet where you already have a launcher, you have a lot of core applications. Um, You know, in automotive, the applications are going to be different. They're going to look different. They're going to do different things. And obviously cars are going to be very different from each other. So there's only so much core experience you can consistently define. So I'd love to hear like, you know, if you partner with Google, what's that like? But also we would love to know more about like, if you don't, if you want to go AOSD, 
what is it what is that experience like as well the the partnering with google is quite an interesting route because the the customization options you're given allow you to put a kind of skin on top of things and, and change them a little bit if you have a look at what the guys have done with uh the humvee uh, that is powered by android automotive os it's very kind of action film big blockbuster style military theming they have on it compared to the polestar um so going with google gives you some options but you're you're kind of tied into their templating system they they're very focused on making sure that the driver is not distracted or is not is not sitting there within app purchase pop-ups and all things like that that everybody hates on their mobile distracting them from this all-important job of of making sure that a few tons of metal are traveling down the road safely so google's Google's offering is, is really interesting, but the tooling is very much focused on the templates and what you can do with the templates and trying to get everybody into thinking about an automotive app as just a, a set of functionality which may have a skin applied to it by an automotive manufacturer and also is very lightweight. So it's not going to be an in-depth application where you're going to be taking control of the whole screen and everything else like that. It's going to be a very much a case of, okay, I'm doing these few steps in a process, and then I may be able to do something a bit more complex for a short period of time if the brake is engaged on the car. And there's a there's login screens. And one great example of this is if the parking brake is not engaged, you won't be presented with a login screen just to stop people trying to drive and log into folks' apps. If you don't go Google, then then it's a wide open field. Um, there have been cars that have had Android in them for uh, nearly a decade now. And it's been very much a case of the AOSP put onto something that's pretty much like a tablet with a few little apps thrown in here and there. And in terms of Android Automotive, all that does is it gives a standard set of APIs for getting information from the car but the manufacturer is free to do whatever they want. You could have full screen apps. You could do things like Tesla's video player, do all sorts of things that you want to do, but it will be dependent on the car manufacturers allowing you to do that and what freedom they give. And I think, Johani, as a, a fellow Polestar owner, you've had some experience of how Polestar have tried to work around the templating system. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting way. So what Al's describing is exactly if you have, if you have Google Play in the car, um, it's very limited what you can deploy as a third-party developer via Google Play. The OEMs, of course, can do whatever they want. Um, so what Google's given the power to OEMs to deploy whatever apps they want. Um, so you can find a lot of applications that are not templated apps, but are redeployed uh, under the Polestar account. So if you're an app developer, you want to get something else than Media Player, at the moment to Android Automotive OS via Google Play, you have to talk to the OEMs directly. Uh, they will be able to bypass the Google requirements, uh, effectively taking the responsibility the application is safe. Interesting. That is definitely a nuance I wasn't aware of because even from the days of Android Auto, I remember Google had a very strict line about their safety guidelines that they wouldn't let any kind of application that didn't meet those guidelines onto the experience, which you can understand from a liability perspective, of course. But uh, I wasn't aware that the OEMs for automotive had the choice to say, no, we're going to actually decide to do this our way. Um, because that's something you really don't see on most other consumer electronics that uh, run Google mobile services. Um, there's not usually much incentive for a manufacturer to do that other than 
potentially getting some app download revenue, which is very incremental. It's not really about enhancing the phone experience in a deeper way necessarily. I think in terms of Google being fairly cautious of uh, deploying the new new way. So Android Auto, the projected mode, has much more apps available than Android Auto, but it was the embedded version. Um, it seems to be that Google is is going to open all the other templates as well, with you know navigation and and so on, which are currently not available in Polestar, for example. Um, it seems to be that Google has been so slow in deploying new things on the automotive OS that they have given the OEMs a way to buy pass. Uh, so you know there's at least some interesting applications in the store, and we don't see this kind of void of apps. Yeah, and one so, of the interesting ones that, that's come out is a better route planner, which of course kind of competes with Google Maps. Um, and seeing that come through Polestar's publishing account in Google Play has been a in an eye-opener as to what power the manufacturers can have. So I'm I'm really curious um, about the the other kind. Of, there's I, there's another middle road here for automotive, right? Which is that um, you have companies that have essentially like announced that they're using technology, and I think the big one is Stellantis, uh, right? I'm sorry, my doorbell is dinging. My door. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, one of them is uh, Stellantis, um, who announced actually. This is interesting to me because early on, Fiat Chrysler, when it was still FCA, announced that they were partnering with Android Automotive. They had a proof of concept. Um, I saw it at CES. It ran Google Maps. It was definitely running the, the gas suite. Um, and then they totally changed direction. And they said, we're not going to do that. Now we're not going to use Google services. Um, do you see like growing interest in keeping out of Google's, like I, I would say their, their business, um, but you know, keeping the technology? The, the, there's a lot of interest in the technology, but there's also a lot of business things that are, that are influencing things behind the scenes. So a lot of European automotive manufacturers have existing navigation, for example, and they actually have partnership in some of the navigation companies. So for them, going with a Google solution is starving their own companies of revenue. So there's that kind of business conflict going on there. And there's also a a concern about how much freedom they hand over to Google. So, for example, someone like, say, a BMW will want to put on their dealerships as prominent features on a map. But the ability to do that is controlled by Google and Google Maps interface, which is something they don't have a lot of control over. So we're seeing there are companies, almost all companies, motor manufacturers who are, who are sort of dealing in tens or hundreds of thousands of cars shipped per year are moving towards that Android Automotive, but it's about the amount of control that they're willing to surrender to Google that seems a big thing that's, that's steering them in one direction or another. This uh, automotive field will be way more fragmented than the mobile is or ever going to be. Um, this is kind of the, from app developer, third-party app developer point of view, uh, you're going to be have to build uh, your application multiple times deploying to multiple different stores, uh, test on multiple different platforms if you want to run on on cars like, uh, you know, Volkswagen has announced they're going to go with Android, but they're not going to go with Google, uh, very likely. So um, to get your applications running in the, you know, Audi or whatever, um, you can't deploy it to Google Play, you have to deploy it to, to whatever app store they are using. And it might not be the same as uh, some other companies are using. So I have a question for Al as it pertains to safety and 
the way Android Automotive is architected under the hood in comparison to Android for handhelds. So um, as far as I'm aware, Android Automotive on, say, the Polestar can't interface with, like, the brakes or, like, the odometer. Can't, you can't control the speed or anything like that. It can read that data, but it can't control it. And from what I played around with the emulator, it looks like Android Automotive does support climate control for the AC system. But I'm wondering, how exactly has Google um, designed Android Automotive to, say, like, ensure that if something were to go wrong in the OS and in the, in the framework itself, there's some crashing problem that none of those subsystems are ever affected in any negative way. Is there something that they've done specifically that's different from how Android is designed for smartphones and tablets? It's, um, it's a very short answer to that in that uh, the Android automotive OS doesn't run the car. So for the critical features like stability control, brakes, all of the things that are critical to the safety of the car, there is a second operator running within the car itself. And that's a real-time operating system where a lot of effort goes into mathematically proving that the hardware that's in the car is able to provide the time slices needed to support all of the car hardware, the sensors and synchronizing sensor readings to make sure it's getting a single coherent view of the car. One of the names that's, that's becoming prominent in that area, particularly in automotive, is, is a name from the past that many people might, might suddenly go, good grief, that's where they went to. And that's BlackBerry and their real-time operating system called QNX. And what's happening with a lot of motor manufacturers is they're using QNX or a, a kind of equivalent. And on top of QNX, they're running Android Automotive OS in a virtual machine. So Android, OS, Android Automotive OS itself can be slowed down or it can just be basically controlled in a way that will never impact the operation of the car itself. And with inside that, that hypervisor or the virtual machine that's running Android Automotive OS, there tends to be a, an API defined. And that API, in the terms of automotive, uh, the vehicle hardware abstraction layer, so the implementation, like we have in Android Mobile, we have HALs. In Android Automotive, there are VHALs. And all, of the, all they do is bring properties from the lower level real-time operating system, or in the case of the emulator, whatever is running to kind of emulate that fun functionality and present that in Android and AAOS in that property format. So the ability to interact with the car comes from that kind of virtual machine interface or the, in some cases where there are, where there is dedicated silicon running AAOS, there may be a, a, a different type of API, but whatever you do in terms of requesting changes to the car, goes through that real-time operating system, gets validated as something that is not going to cause severe problems before it ever has a chance to reach your brakes or everything else like that. And the same is true in some cars for the for the, uh, for the uh, HVAC, for the air conditioning systems. So if you try to set a property saying, I want to push that up to 100 degrees, the real-time operating system would just go, no, drop it, and it never would happen. So it kind of... There is this real-time operating system that's actually in control and Android Automotive is just this layer on top that is feeding into it. Uh, so it's a very kind of concrete example. If you try your Polestar, uh, you can hold down the home, bat home button for 30 seconds and you can reboot the Android system, including network, everything uh, while driving. Doesn't impact your driving at all or safety at all. Uh, it will turn off the AC for a couple of seconds. It will turn off the connectivity you will not hear any indicator sounds for a couple of seconds, and then it will start again. 
and in some of the some of the systems uh some of the cars what actually happens is your speedometer your rev counter and everything part of a display that cuts an area out of the screen and dedicates that to android automotive and the rest of it is directly fed from the real-time operating system and that's the that's the case in the polestar where you'll see things popping up on the the main console the main sort of control panel that will give you direction hints and things like that and all that is is a certain area that is defined as control android automotive the rest android automotive can't impact it, it will still show things it will still show the speed when you're doing the reboot that yahani was talking about it is entirely a separate operating system controlling that see that's interesting because i've always wondered about that because android auto also can have send some basic communications to the instrument cluster on um, some cars so with automotive i mean is that really all up to the manufacturer like what they want to build and then do they define the api so does automotive already have hooks in there for common things like you know for example odometer or you know um like remaining charge or something android automotive has a as a defined set of properties and there is specific language in the compatibility definition that says you are not allowed to redefine these properties so if there is a well, there is a a speedometer or a charge level or, and things like that you can't have each manufacturer going and in having the same property and not supporting the main one so there is a common core but manufacturers are also able to extend that or conversely not support everything so there may be some things that appear in some cars that don't appear in others. And that again comes through that real-time operating system interface where the manufacturer will make the decision about how much they want Android Automotive to control things and then just use a real-time operating system for everything else to feed into Android Automotive. But in terms of, in terms of how much can be controlled, the main limiting factor there are safety tests. So having Android Automotive control the speedometer is something that would fail a number of speed a number of safety tests in a number of countries because there would be situations where android automotive could not guarantee a certain latency for the updates to that screen and a certain accuracy with the current vehicle speed so it's it is in the manufacturer's hands in some ways but they are very limited by the safety requirements in various jurisdictions interesting so I want to zoom out a little bit um, to kind of a broader, you know, industry question around cars that's that's uh, always been interesting to me, which is development cycle. Um, obviously, cars take a really long time to develop and they get produced for a really long time as well compared to almost anything else your average consumer or business is going to buy. You know, a car lasts 10, 15, maybe 20 years in some cases, and you could produce a model from anywhere from five years up to 15 or 20, depending on the vehicle type. So when integrating, you know, Android Automotive, which allows a lot of agility to be introduced, the automotive software equation, right? Because you have the updatability there, um, both, for, for, both for firmware and applications. Um, do you think that the hardware situation, though, which also has to be, you know, really tightly managed on these timelines, is still going to keep adoption relatively slow? I think I think it will. I mean, I, I've got some bad news for you. If you didn't know it already, your Polestar is running an Intel Atom chip and android, yes. <laughs> <laughs> android is sitting on top of that and if anybody familiar with the android hardware market has seen an intel atom based system appear in the last couple of years i'd love to know about it because it's a few years since i've seen anyone launch one so there is this 
longer term development cycle and what what we're kind of expecting and what the noises we're hearing is that you'll probably be looking at slightly longer so three to five years of potential updates but at that point they'll become this flip from android automotive in the car to folks using android auto on their phone because we're looking at cars now that the head units are so integrated with things like battery charge levels and, and features like that that you can no longer do what folks did in the old days of taking out one radio and replace it with another there's a lot of very uh, car specific hardware needed so what we expect is there to be a certain amount of android automotive os in new cars that everyone dives into but in the second hand market the sort of three five plus years onto the end of the life of the car the screen will just become a screen which folk are using android auto to project what they want to on it and that's the easy way that they can keep things up to date is by just using android auto because every time they get a new phone they essentially upgrade their car i hadn't even considered that and that makes a lot of sense actually um as the uh the life cycle thing because obviously these systems especially ones that rely on cell connectivity which all these cars now you know most people aren't going to pay to continue to support that data con they're going to want to use their smartphone to to bypass that so that makes a lot of sense um a little bit more obviously about what y'all are building over at snap specifically um and what you're bringing to the table for car makers and where you think you're improving on what google's built so the the main thing that we've done is we've approached cars from the user perspective downwards a lot of the car manufacturers are very engineering driven but from the from the tarmac upwards so they're focusing on the hardware specifics of engine management systems and, and things like that. So we've taken the view of if we start from the user to other features within the car, uh, other features within the user's life by using sort of Android to to connect with apps under shared accounts and all this kind of thing. One of the other things that we're bringing is with Android becoming the main point of interaction with the between the driver and the car we've worked to produce a version of android automotive that runs on a, a samsung tablet a raspberry pi emulators and shorten the development cycle for my uh, automotive manufacturers one of the things we've seen past because uh, snap have been working with motor manufacturers for a number of years it can be a long long iteration cycle so we could you could be looking at weeks or months between firmware releases for testing in devices whereas what we have now is we can talk hours or days about phone cycles, and that gives a very fast, very quick feedback loop. So what we're offering to them is the ability to accelerate the iterations that they can do in a product's life when they're developing it, so that we can deliver a better product that's better tested by more people and more things have been tried to make sure when it is sitting in the car for the, the 15 plus years that we, we all hope people will keep cars on the road for, uh, it will be something that folk enjoy using. It gives them what they want and they don't get that experience of sitting in the car and going, you know what, this infotainment system isn't really giving me what I need. So would one of those things, for example, obviously one of the things I've noticed about car makers is, of course, they want to productize and servicize everything. They want to make you pay, especially in the luxury segment. Um, they get very cagey when you start asking about like, oh, what services extend beyond like the powertrain warranty of my car in terms of like mapping or navigation or all these other things. Um, and one of the things they always are very reticent to talk about is like, well, can I just use my phone for data connectivity? Um, and I'm guessing you will see manufacturers 
probably try to sidestep that and say, we're not allowing that functionality for quality of service concerns or whatever they want to say. Um, do you think that a lot of automakers wanting just more, is it about what, what kind of interest do they, I guess, business interest do they see in having more freedom over the operating system is my question. I got over, I got to it there in a roundabout way. Sure. I mean, it, for me, um, I've been involved in Android for, for over a decade. So to me, it's like the mobile sector was 10 years ago. They're seeing the chance of getting a high quality operating system for their head units with very little engineering investment. So they don't have to maintain a custom Linux code base with all these kind of things. So there's a cost saving them for there, uh, for them there. And when you're talking about folks like, say, again, say BMW who ship half a million cars a year, even if it's saving five dollars a car, that's an awfully big saving that you can make. Um, and they, their interest is also in allowing their engineers to work on things, add more features that are visible to the user. So instead of having a hundred engineering hundred engineer team working on a custom version of Linux, they can have a hundred engineer team working on features within the cars that can add functionality they need. And in terms of payments, that's a quite a big area at the moment that's up in the air. There are very few um, payment options that support in car payments. And there are lots of the support in, in app payments or mobile payments on your phone. But the, the in-car payment system is still very much to be a uh, question to be answered. And one of the hooks that, and that the manufacturers want to use to keep people at least interacting with the in-car system is the remote control features. So things like having control of your air conditioning and, and your battery charge levels and all those kind of things will get you to interact with it in some way to either reduce the temperature when you get in or just interact in a way that makes you use the environment they've provided so that they can try and monetize that through uh, recommending dealers when you need a service, finding places nearby where they can do uh, revenue share deals with hotels and things like that. So there's there's lots of areas where they're kind of they're interested in getting you to continue using the head unit. But for them, a lot of the cost savings come from the same areas that Samsung and Nokia and other companies have benefited from, which is you get a high quality operating system. You can build your value add features on rather than needing to spend a lot of resources in just the basics. Plus the, the pool of developers available to you all of a sudden becomes massive. When you build software for cars, even if you are OEM, you open up Android Studio, you use Kotlin, you, you use exactly the same tools. So any Android developer can be converted into head unit developer for or infotainment uh, unit development uh, in relatively short time. You know, what's funny about this is we are actually in a similar business here at Esper, but we're focused on, you know, enterprise mobility use case more more than that. You know, kiosk point of sale systems. Um, automotive is an area where we've really played around much. So actually, we're we're really aligned, I think, in terms of what we do and like the, the value prop there. Um, another question I guess I have is just on the automotive side of things, do you see the uh, suppliers um, for the actual technology, the touch screens, the tablets, do you see a movement toward more AIO solutions, basically, where it is like it is automotive grade, you plug it in, you know, you, the manufacturer can customize certain things like screen size, but overall the platform is more consistent. Is there a lot of interest in more modularity and making the components, you know, more interoperable and consistent with, I guess, more consistent with consumer technology? Because honestly, like you're running a consumer technology operating system. 
Yeah, we're, we're seeing that in, in a number of areas where it's almost like the car business is becoming like the PC business. Um, and Yanni, you, I know it's an area you're quite passionate about, so I'll let you uh, speak about it. Um, yeah, I don't really have much to add. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, we're seeing companies like Re who are producing skateboard platforms, which can then be integrated into other things. So, yeah, we're seeing a lot of moving movement towards that. But uh, that's kind of always been the case in automotive manufacturing. It's just very few people see it. One of the biggest car manufacturers is actually Bosch. And they don't have a single vehicle, but it, your your high-end luxury cars will have a lot of Bosch components in them. And even the Polestar uses components from Bosch to drive some of the bits that are that are driver visible. But again, you would never know they actually come from Bosch. Yeah, that's it. The what is kind of interesting. We we've been talking in this this call a little bit more like big big guys. Um, what is going to happen in the auto industry is that we're going to see small car manufacturers popping up because the the way evs are built um, companies like arrival uh, basically give you a form to build your own car you you might be have a company like charge car who are going to build 499 mustangs electric mustangs in the past a company building 500 cars was impossible um, the the company re who provides you just a platform you can put basically case over whatever you want to do uh, you go to their website and drag and drop the size of the car you want to build. Um, this enables a whole new type of automotive industry. Um, so the big guys going to be what they do. Uh, they're going to keep doing what they do, and they're probably going to do fine. But we're going to see the secondary market of these, these small companies. And these cars need an operating system uh, for infotainment. And it's very, very likely to be Android. And for all of these small manufacturers, they won't have the power of Volkswagen to create ecosystem around their own car. Uh, we could argue that Volkswagen doesn't have either, but, but that's a different uh, discussion. But all of these going to need similar type of systems and, and interop between their systems that they need to start looking same. So I suspect, the, David, what you were saying, what we, we, this is what we're going to be seeing from these very small companies, very, very specialized companies they are going to look much, much more similar with each other than the big guys. The big guys are going to have their own branding, their own style, their own builds and so on. Yeah, and that's a, that's an interesting point. Just that's, I mean, it's a, it's a trend we've seen with electrification because standardization of powertrains and platforms around technologies. And we just, that it just seems to like so happen that we were also seeing a consolidation now around software at the same time. But perhaps that's because like you're saying, we have these platforms now that make iteration more quickly um, and more with more customization, a lot more accessible to a lot more companies. And so they can move more quickly because they're moving at lower volumes. You know, Volkswagen takes a long, long time to make a big decision, like deciding on a new vehicle platform. But if you are a manufacturer producing enthusiast cars, for example, like an Ariel um, or a Morgan, uh, you're probably much more interested in something you can simply plug into and say it 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 works. We don't have to worry about it. Yeah, as it's long as it kind of looks looks like your car, it's fine. They don't need to have this kind of specialized, well thought out experience built by hundreds and hundreds of people over four years, five years. Uh, yeah, agreed. But it's it's also interesting. We've talked to um, one company who are in the process of producing kind of a hypercar, so a multi million dollar car, uh, and they're they're discussion with us kicked off with we absolutely do not want our multi-million dollar car to look like a Renault Megane so we need to do the customization we need to spend some time on it 
Yeah, and I guess that, you know, it allows them to do that. We see similar things with our customers where they want to create, they want to focus on the app experience. Like you like you said, Al, they want to focus on the software that the users are actually touching and what they're actually looking at. They don't want to think about the platform. So I think that is, you know, something that in terms of engineering efficiency, being able to take those people or at least take those financial resources and point them toward the actual product um, and iterating on it consistently is going to be way more interesting to a luxury brand. Um, who have customers that are very demanding and are going to expect their cars to be like their phones, that they get better over time, not worse. Absolutely. And, and that's something that I, the cynic in me can see uh, manufacturers charging a subscription to keep to lock you into updates uh, that will bring all of those new nice functionality features that are, that are bringing the new customers to them. To, and it would be an interesting model to see whether it succeeds as to having a subscription for essentially a hardware device like a car to pay for the engineering effort to keep that car up to date. It's, I think we're going to see some interesting times ahead of us. Definitely. Well, um, we generally try to keep these to about 30 minutes each week, and I imagine y'all are uh, pretty busy with some exciting stuff. So it was great having you on. There are so few experts in Android Automotive outside Google. So this is super fascinating to me personally, because it's something, whenever I would ask Google about it and ask for more detail, they're always like, we'll get back to you. Um, they just, you know, obviously their partners want to keep the technology looking like it's theirs, and Google can't hog too much of that limelight. So it's really interesting to get a sense of like how Google's architecture detected this, why they've made the decisions they've ha they have, and probably what it means for the future um, of a lot of smaller automakers, which I, I had never considered. So Al, uh, Yuhani, uh, thanks for joining us. Where can they go? Um, where can people go if they want to learn more about Snap Automotive? Um, they can visit us at snapautomotive.io or Snap Automotive on Twitter, and uh, they can send us messages if they want to know more, or you can reach out to us. You've got our email address now, so you can reach out to us anytime we can help. Awesome. All right. Thanks both for joining us. And uh, yeah, uh, Cam and Michelle and I work at Esper. Um, you know, we actually do something similar to Snap Automotive, but we, we do it for things like restaurant kiosks. Um, so uh, if you want to check us out, we're at esper.io. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, all. Bye-bye.